Judy Carmichael's Jazz Inspired is produced in association with Jazz Times. Bassist composer George Delancey is one of the most sought-after bass players on the scene today. At the tender age of 31, he is already a composer and arranger of depth and maturity and a swinging, commanding player. George and I met in Manhattan in June 2019 for the following conversation about his jump from his beloved Midwest to New York City and his CD, Paradise, which features his own compositions along with those of Ellington Monk and others of his favorite musicians. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. I love that you brought me a traditional tune done in untraditional way, the Gil Evans, Strutton with some barbecue. Oh, yeah. Because, frankly, that's how I think of you, as having the roots, but also all these other things going on. So talk about this track, because I loved it, and I hadn't heard it. That track, I got it when I I bought that record, I think, when I was in college. And I was driving, um, I just was driving home, and I put it in my player, Mm -hmm. and I was listening through the record, and it came to that track, and it got to the the middle of the track where there's the uh, there's a brass soli, and they play through. So he has the tuba and then the trombone solo, and then he has a the trumpet and the and the. It's I love the way he orchestrates stuff. He's the the best. I think it's trumpet, alto, French horn, and trombone, and then all of a sudden there's a send off into the saxophone solo, and I about jumped out of my skin. <laughs> Because he hits this chord where the full band is just bl- like out of nowhere, they just blare. And man, I was like, okay, I got, <laughs> yeah, I, I got to figure this. this. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I knew Gil Evans, you know, but that was my first time really kind of checking out the stuff he did away from Miles. That's not as well known, like not Birth of the Cool or or Porgy and Bess. Those are like his well known things it was this you know i started to get a little deeper into him but that hit me like a ton of bricks
know that you wanted to be an arranger? Is that something you thought of when you were first getting into this? Because some people immediately think that way. Others do. They come to it. How did it develop for you? I always wanted to write my own music. And I started writing tunes pretty much when I started playing. I started playing trumpet in the fifth grade. And I was, I was trying to write my own music at that time. <laughs> and, uh, and so I've always, I've always done that. And I've gone through, I've, and I listened to lots of music. When I was growing up, my parents listened to tons of different kinds of music. So I was writing rock songs and pop songs and blues and what, you know, instrumental music and everything. And when I went to college, I went to Michigan State and I studied jazz bass with Ronnie Whitaker at Michigan State. And he encouraged me just by he didn't re, we didn't really work on arranging composition too much he would sit down at the piano and and talk to me about harmony and melody and um and so so i started to to develop a little bit of his concept for for myself and we took arranging classes and and composition classes in college and that's what gave me my background but really it was just him saying okay your senior recital, you have to write for an octet. So, so okay. Necessity did yeah. it. Right. So, okay. I so that. I've, so I've just, you know, I took some music that I had more or less, you know, I had underway. I said, well, how can I make this work for a bigger group? So, so I started to, it just kind of, you know, just kind of started to think of how I would put ideas together, mm. how ideas sound, you know, one against another and those kinds of things. And it's just, I feel like it's just recently that I've started to get better at kind of the, the mechanics of arranging, mm. you know, aside from just very basic stuff, like very basic kinds of chord voicings. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, I've tried to think about counterpoint and, I think about the way that Duke Ellington and Billy Strayhorn wrote Counterpoint. You could take any piece of their Counterpoint and it's a whole tune unto itself. But it just sounds good together. You put two of those lines together and it, and it works.
Duke Ellington on Harlem Air Shaft, a favorite track of my guest, bassist composer George DeLancey. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. So I've tried to learn more and, and develop more of the technical, you know, kind of the traditional arranging techniques that all mm-hmm. the great arrangers had, but just to think of ideas that sound good and how to make them sound good together. My guest, bassist composer George DeLancey, on While I Was Away, from his CD, Paradise. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. One of the things that I love about your playing and your solos, the playing's the groove and all of that, but the solos sound like a horn player to me. And I love it because they're so melodic and... It, I mean, so I, gosh, I hate to say this. People are going to, bass players are going to hate me. <laughs> but a lot of times it's 
not really interesting to me when a bass player it's it, the contrast is interesting but i'm not as hooked into the melodic mm-hmm. content right. of the solo and you have that in spades and i wonder if that is from playing trumpet playing what it, how did you develop that it probably is because i well to go all the way back yeah i started playing trumpet so i had an I had an, I won't say I had an ear for melody, but I had an interest in playing melodies. And then when I started playing bass was the next year I was in sixth grade. I started taking classical bass lessons and my teacher started me pretty early on, on classical bass solo repertoire. So I always kind of thought of the bass in that stand from that standpoint, I didn't really, this is, this is an aside, but I didn't really start to fully appreciate the rhythm section playing until later on oh that's interesting and that's and that's not my strong suit i've worked pretty hard you know at at trying to have good time or Mm -hmm. halfway decent time at least and a good sound and you know the rhythm section things i really i really love that but that stuff didn't really come naturally oh that's interesting but i think for whatever reason i did you know i did have more of a you know more of a natural feel for playing solos Mm. and what I've what I've learned over time is that melody is the most important thing to me, and Oscar Pettiford, for that reason, is my favorite bass soloist. in the closet. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired.
Peter Pettiford is a favorite of my guest, bassist George Delancey. He made a handful of those recordings with himself and Harry Babison on cello. And I think it's, I think it's Joe Comfort on bass. And, um, if you, do you know the story about him playing cello? Yes. He broke, yes. he broke his arm playing baseball and he couldn't hold the bass. So, so he picked up cello and he tuned it like a bass, mm-hmm. an octave up. And it's just, this is Nat, my favorite recording, which I couldn't find. Well, it's one of my favorite recordings, him playing Perdido mm. with Duke mm-hmm. they, in a small group. He's playing so much stuff, man. It's, and every note, every note is just, <laughs> is, just <laughs> is killing. And his, yeah, his phrasing, his time, it's just is impeccable. He's a very interesting person. I don't, there's not a lot of history about him, but, you know, I've, what I've read, what little bit I've read and, you know, heard of people talk about him. Very, very interesting person. But I think that he, I think that it was important to him for things to be, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Things to be like, you know, well presented. Mm, I think mm-hmm. that, I think he was kind of a dignified person mm-hmm. and he liked, you know, he had a, he had a small orchestra and he had a, you know, he played cello with his orchestra and he had a harp player with his orchestra. He liked kind of this austere presentation. And I think that that comes through somewhat in his playing because it's mm. very, very well put together, mm-hmm. even though it is, it is bluesy and it is, it does swing really hard, but it's at the same time, it's kind of, you know, proper in a, in a mm-hmm. way. Talking about Oscar Pettiford and how he presented things, one of the things that I think is so interesting about especially jazz musicians, but I'll say all artists, is how our personality comes through. Mm -hmm. And especially with jazz, because we're making it up as we go along. And people talk about that. Musicians talk about it a lot. And that you know so much about a person playing with them too, mm-hmm. who's, who plays well with others, <laughs> who wants to play well with others. And I'm fascinated by the role of bass players because I came to that later too, because I didn't play with bass for so long. And that was practical. You know, in my case, I think I told you that before when we met that because I played stride, I didn't have to have bass, and I wanted to right. do less stride, but then it just became economical for me to travel by myself. Yeah. <laughs> but to see that role of the bass player and supporting the band, the bottom of the band, however you want to put it. Do you like that role? Is that something that you took to your personality? Talk about that, because a lot of people don't know that, that that's how it works in an ensemble for us. That's the role of the bass player. Well, I don't know how well it actually jibes with my personality, Mm. but I love playing bass in the rhythm section with a great drummer, playing behind a great, you know, soloist or in a great band. I, you know, I, I like having that role. Mm-hmm. I like being responsible for it. That's the way in, in which I think I might be a little, I might not be selfless enough to be a great rhythm section player because I want to make the band swing. Well, you know what I mean? But, but th- isn't that what you're supposed to want to do? You are, but you're supposed, but I, you know, I, and I do want to, I want to make the other musicians sound good. I want, not, you know, that's the art of being a rhythm section player mm-hmm. is being able to hear and support and turn on a dime and do what, do what they need you to do or mm-hmm. what they want you to do. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think, um, you know, I try, I try to be a good collaborator and a good side man, 
but I think I, I look at it more of, you know, I, at the same time, I kind of want to, you know, break through the, the band. I want, I want to, you know, kind of hold people's attention. Well, but that's you know? fine. I think you can do both, but, don't you? Yeah, well, you, you can. Yeah, I think you can. Mm-hmm. But I don't know how. No. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, that's why we're here today, George. <laughs> we're going to get to the bottom of this, yeah. and we're going to figure it out. Yeah. But, well, just because I think that there, there may be two ways of, of playing well in a rhythm section. One is to be very kind of assertive in a way of, say, Ray Brown, where he dominated the, the rhythm section. And he didn't always necessarily play like that. But when you listen to his band, it's the bass is driving the band, and there's no question about it. Everybody is playing in his world. Right. The other way, I don't know if I can think of a you know a good example of this, which there are there are many. But the other way is just to kind of let somebody else drive. Whoever wants to drive the bass player. Well, here's a, a good example of the in between is Paul Chambers, because Paul Chambers, to my ear, he lets the drummer lead the time, but he puts the bass. The bass isn't in the background by any stretch. He sits on the drummer's time and really makes it bounce. He sits on the ride cymbal beat. Whoever the drummer is, he he sounded great on every drummer on every recording he ever made. You know, in my opinion, he always sounded great and it sounds strong mm-hmm. and it adds to the feel of the band. He's not just wallpaper, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know. But to me, that's kind of a, a middle ground. He's not really imposing his will on the band, but his feel is so great that it really it really adds to the sound of a band. What I'm getting from this is that if it's your band, then you can set it up the way you want. And obviously you're a writer and an arranger and you can do that. But as a sideman, then uh, then it's and I feel this even as a leader, I'm picking the repertoire and all of that, and it's my center, but I choose people who have that same view of time. Mm-hmm. That's the right. tricky bit, right. is choosing people that have that same focus so that you all go to that same place anyway and it works. Right. And I'm thinking of you playing with Ben Patterson all the time. You're not arguing about where the beat is or no. where the groove is, so I can't say who's leading the time, as it were, and when I got to play my one time, which is so great with you and Ben, and I've looked at that video, (laughs) so I've gotten to hear it, that it swung so hard, I couldn't say who was making it swing that hard. It was all three of us, I think, in the same pocket. Mm -hmm. And isn't that the ultimate goal? Yes, there are musicians that you naturally line up with, but there are also musicians that you don't naturally line up with. And yeah, when it's my band, I don't make any bones. Like you're, you're, you know, my band, yeah, my groove, my terms, right? <laughs> but but there are musicians who I really love, and I recognize that you know we don't think about time or feel time the same way. So if I want to play with somebody like that, I have to. I don't have to change my personality, but I do have to accommodate them. I mean, I want them to feel comfortable. Right. That's what the sideman thing is. Yeah. So that's where I, I'm saying that I don't know if my personality is the, the best suited for being a great sideman in that sense and to where I can just be a chameleon mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. do whatever anybody asks me to do. I, and I be always, happy with that. Well, I always try to do that. Mm-hmm. But I do have a way that's natural to me that I kind of 
embrace mm, mm-hmm. that I want, pe- you know, you don't want, you want people to like to play with you. Right. That's who, you know, this is how I sound. So, yeah. you know, and I've put, I put a considerable, you know, amount of thought and work into sounding this way, mm-hmm. but I do want people to be comfortable. If somebody calls me for a gig I, or whatever it is, you know, I want to do what they want me to do. And if I can't do it, I would rather just not be there. Yeah. You know? Oh, no, so, absolutely. It, but the other thing that I like is to play with people who have a different, you know, different feel or a different idea about the way it should sound and just let it just let it happen. Well, which is great because then right. you're going to learn a lot. Yeah. And I, I, I really enjoy it. I think that's the fun part of playing, you know, playing music or playing jazz, especially is that you can play with somebody who's maybe a little bit more traditional or a little bit more modern in their approach. But if you know what you're doing and you listen to each other, it should be able to work. composer George Delancey on Locomotive from his new CD, Paradise. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. Thank you. 
I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. Our show is made possible in part with generous support from Steinway & Sons. Additional support is provided by Jazz Times Magazine, providing entertaining and provocative coverage of the jazz scene since 1970. On the web at jazztimes.com. For a schedule of upcoming programs, visit our website at jazzinspired.com. You can listen to Jazz Inspired on all the usual podcast platforms and email us at info at jazzinspired.com or visit us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Stride Queen. Although we broadcast on NPR stations, we're an independent production, not funded by NPR. We're funded primarily by your donations. So please visit jazzinspired.com to chip in. No gift is too small. And please tell your friends about Jazz Inspired and help us spread the word. I'm talking with bassist composer George Delancey about his CD, Paradise. I have to say, I am totally taken with your new CD. It isn't even named yet, although you're thinking of Paradise, and I want you to call it Paradise because okay, that's such a good title. I will for you. Okay, good. Talk about it. I love it. I went into the studio um, in, I think it was October of 2017. So it's been, it's been in the can for a little while. And half of the... Half of the music is original. There's four four tracks that are mine, and four arrangements. Uh, Bohemia After Dark by Oscar Pettiford. That's so. I have to jump in. <laughs> that is so incredible and faster yeah. than the normal take on it, and so great. It just like talk about grabbing you by the throat and going, "Here we are!" <laughs> <laughs> no, it's fantastic. Talk Thank about you. that track. That, that one is kind of. I love Pettiford, as I've said. I also love Cannonball Adderley's band. That's one of my favorite rhythm sections, Sam Jones and Lewis Hayes. And they recorded that on, on uh, live, at the, uh, live in San Francisco. And they play it way upstairs. And it's so swinging. So that, that was partly the influence for that. And really, when I sat down to write that, that was just kind of a... <laughs> it was kind of an uh, arranging exercise. Because I like this tune, and I wanted to try out some different things. I want to see. Well, let me write a let me write a full band shout and harmonize it, just to see if I can do it. And I didn't know I was gonna it was gonna turn out as like it did. And then, and when I finished it, I was like, yeah, it's pretty good.
so I got the band, you know, mostly guys that I did my first record with. I got I got them together and we started rehearsing some of the new music. I wrote the arrangement on uh, Central Par- uh, Skating in Central Park, John Lewis and the uh, Modern Jazz Quartet. I wrote that for a Christmas gig I did a couple of years ago. So I had that one. I had those two. Uh, then then we did uh, we did Locomotion by or Locomotive by Monk, and I just basically took that right out of Monk's playing. And then I did uh, the all all the things you are. Which that's kind of Gil Evans inspired. That was intended to be a bass feature. It's wonderful, and yeah. there aren't. I mean, I know there's lots of recordings of bass features, but but that just how do I even want to say this? Very often it will scream. We just did this as a bass feature, <laughs> rather than it being a lovely part of the whole, if that makes sense. Right. And I really was taken with that, with this project. Of course, it's your band, and it's we've established that you want to do what you want to do. <laughs> but jokes aside, I, I was really taken with that, that it was a natural, uh, beautiful integration of Thank all you. the voices that I thought was really nice.
My guest, bassist George Delancey from his new CD, Paradise. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. One of the things that you said that jumped out at me was setting up something as an exercise for yourself. Speak to that, because we're on radio, I see you nodding your head, but our audience doesn't know that you agree with me. (laughs) I want affirmation (laughs) for my crazy thought. Well, one thing, which I know that you've had this experience, the best way to learn is to just get in and and mix it up. So, So lately, just to give an example of that, I did a gig with a blues guitar player. He said, he said, yeah, he liked the way I was playing with him. Cause I, I'm not really a blues player, but you know, I kind of know, I mean, I've been listening to that music for a long time. It just hasn't been my area of expertise. So he said, you should do this gig. You know, I'm going to give this guy your number. So I started subbing uh, on a lot of blues gigs lately with serious blues guitar players. And it's not the most technically difficult music, but it's very, very specific what you're supposed to be doing. And so I know, I know that I'm messing up sometimes, <laughs> but I'm trying to, you know, I, I'm embracing the challenge of doing it. It's not the only way to get better, but it's the best way to get better. Oh, it's yeah. the best way to really learn a new skill. The more music that you check out and listen to and learn, that broadens your everything that you play. I think that's certainly true. And I think that the other side of learning to do something new is, you know, doing that is, t- is taking the time to, to really like check out r- whatever it is. But in music, you know, you have to really check out recordings. You have to really kind of familiarize yourself with the players who are important. Um, fundamental things, the fundamental mm-hmm. things. I, that's, I practice more than anything else. Fundamental, and what do you mean by that? Well, just in terms of the most basic parts of playing the bass and playing music, just work, just concentrating on having a good sound, uh, playing in tune, keeping good time. You know, having an even attack with my my right hand, um, having good posture. Mm. Oh, it's so it's so crucial. Oh, especially bass. Yeah. You're standing, oh, yeah. and right. yeah, um, yeah. All, all of those things, you know, learning, you know, learning tunes, mm-hmm. knowing, you know, knowing, knowing chords, like practicing, practicing things in every key, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. just very like fundamental work. That's what I think really, you know, opens the door to, to playing, you know, to, to being, well, to, to playing any kind of music, being versatile. Well, know. and having the, the ability, I always think of this as having the ability to realize any idea that comes into your head because if your chops are up and you have those skills and you and you hear somebody especially as a bass player you hear a piano player going in a different direction Mm -hmm. you're hearing it fast but you can also take care of it yep and do it that way i've been digging out some old things that i played in early on that are just very technical to do i mean like novelty tunes like piano players will know dizzy fingers some of those those kind of things and playing them very very slowly Dick Hyman and I talked about that, mm-hmm. that it's so hard to play these things that are supposed to be fast, that are lots of arpeggiating and mm-hmm. that sort of thing, and but do them very slowly right. and do them very softly, then loud, and to have every note sound exactly the same. That's really hard, yep. but it's great practice, mm-hmm. great practice. I've been doing it with those 
because it's more interesting than playing scales. But yeah. they're exercising in the same way. Right. And anything that sort of engages you so you're not sick of practicing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. I mean, do you talk to your students about that, a way to engage themselves in that kind of practice? Um, I can't, I can't say that I do. Mm-hmm. And, and I guess I should. But that's the main thing I hammer with students is get your elbow up. You know, yeah. get your, like curve your fingers, you know, that, that kind of thing mm-hmm, with, mm-hmm. Be- with beginning students. Yeah. Some, some professional guys do, do you know, they, they just have habits that they never, you know, really think about. Mm-hmm. And to me, it's like, you know, okay, well, if you would, if you did hold your arm where it's supposed to be, you'd be able to, you just, it would be easier. I did a, I did a master's class a couple, a couple of weeks ago back home and I had, four or five bass players or middle school and high school age. And I kept, I kept telling all of them, you know, they'd play something. I'd tell them, okay, now look, hold the bass this way. Put your arm like this. You'll get your fingers in position, you know, put the bow where it's supposed to be. And they'd play and they sounded like a different player. And like three or four or five times throughout this master class, I kept saying, see, this is what I'm yeah, telling you. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah, we're, you know, I, and I don't, you know, I'm, I'm, not to brag, I'm pretty patient, and I'm pretty, I'm pretty uh, understanding about some where somebody is in terms of their progress mm-hmm. and in terms of their development. So I don't expect a you know a 13 year old kid to play like a 40 year old man. Mm-hmm. This is not just is what it is. Mm-hmm. But it's, I'm just wanting you to see you know the fundamentals never change, and if you do those things well, you're always going to do them well. If mm-hmm. you practice doing them well, that's what that's what gives your playing well i guess i would say consistency because every time you play an instrument you grow a little bit mm-hmm. every time you listen to music or you do a gig you're going to grow and develop so i i kind of look at it that way it's like it's like as you as you grow in life and you get older and have experiences you learn things and you become wiser mm-hmm. and i think it's the same with music but you have to do the work on the fundamental things to keep to keep those together
my guest, composer bassist George Delancey, on skating in Central Park from his new CD, Paradise. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. I love to ask people who didn't grow up in New York why they came to New York, (laughs) (laughs) what they see, and, well, it's an interesting question. I wish I could elaborate on that, because Mm -hmm. all I can go on is what my teachers and what older musicians have told me about when they were coming up, when well, they, you know, when they got, so, so but I really, for you, right, but for you, right, I mean, right, not right. how it's changed. I love it when right. people, I've, the big question I would get a lot is what's it like being a woman in jazz? And I'd say, mm. well, I've never been a man in right. jazz. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so you only know your own experience. Yeah. Right. So tell me what it was well, like for you and why you well, initially came. I came because when I was studying with Rodney Whitaker, he would often say, which I agree with, that New York has the highest level of musicianship. And that's where you want to be. You want to be in an environment where you're around the best of the best. And I think that every city, for the most part, has some kind of jazz scene or music scene otherwise. And there's somebody that can play everywhere, you know. And I, you know, I don't, I don't tend to look at people, you know, as, you know, these are the five things you have to do to be able to play. If somebody sounds good, they sound good. So I think there are people that can play. I've been to a lot of cities. You know, I think there's people that can play everywhere, and I like, I like hearing them. But New York, because it's such a big city, it's such you know, a like highly populated city, that naturally there are more jazz musicians here than there are other places. And there are more jazz clubs here. And there's you know, generally more opportunities to play in, in little clubs and restaurants and stuff, but also to do like an afternoon session with somebody who can really play. It's just, that's just in town. So all of those things are reasons to come to New York for me. And I've found that since moving here that I have been able to meet and play with a lot of, you know, a lot of musicians that I have always wanted to play with and guys that I never would have known about had I not come to New York, who are some of my favorite musicians to play with mm-hmm. now. So that's the, the more or less the short answer of my mm-hmm. impression of New York. Mm-hmm. You know, in, well, which is great. Right. Yeah. I mean, th- then that's exactly the same right. as, as my coming. People told me to come, and it's a different time, but mm-hmm. they said there's more people. Right. You'll really be tested. Yeah. And I think that's interesting because uh, I think a lot of people think they want to be tested. Mm-hmm. But then once they're tested on the level that New York tests you, they don't really enjoy it and they want to leave or something like that. And you obviously have risen to the occasion and like being tested. And when I say yeah. tested, being challenged, I think is a better way right. to put it. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. But I, yeah, if, if you're serious about it, you want, then you would want to do it anyway. You know, if you love to play, then you're, you know, that's, and that's kind of how I felt when I came here. You know, it's like, I was willing to play anywhere, anytime, any place with anybody because that's what I wanted to do. So, you know, if I hadn't if I hadn't had that attitude, I wouldn't have ever come here. This is I'm a country bumpkin, you know. This is not this is this is <laughs> Are not, you a country bumpkin? Pretty much, yeah. Still? Yes. How long have you been here? <laughs> I've been here for 8 years. 8 years and you're still a country bumpkin. Yeah. I, have I think to say that, so. And 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 I <laughs> I don't. I don't think that's a bad thing necessarily. Why do you say that? No, I don't think it is. It's just because I'm not, a, I, and I'm. I'm also not. I'm a. I guess I'm an in betweener because I didn't grow up 
it, I'm not a woodsman. Mm-hmm. I'm not a farmer. Mm-hmm. You know, I basically grew up in a small town in, in Ohio. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so, so it's kind of you know typical Midwestern mm-hmm. upbringing, but I like having space around me. Mm-hmm. You know, I like uh, you know I like being you know independent mm-hmm. and self reliant and all that kind of you know Midwest with, yeah, thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, living in New York, it's like you know it's I I love the first time I came to New York, I didn't want to leave. I was mm-hmm. like you know I was like okay, this is where I'm gonna this is where I'm gonna be. But living here is a much different thing. And my dad was kind of the same way. He he lived. He grew up in Columbus, which, as far as big cities go, is like pretty much like a you know cow town. Mm-hmm. And he went to he went to college and played football out in in L.A. Actually, mm-hmm. well, in in uh, Pomona. Mm-hmm. And so he talked to me about. It. He said it's just a grind. You know, you know, you got you got to plan your day around the grind. You know, you don't. And it's not. It's just a different. It's a different lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So I've kind of. I haven't embraced it, but I've kind of just quit fighting against it. I guess. <laughs> it's so, why you have your base with you here today because well, yeah. you're on your way somewhere. Well, and, I, and you know, I drive. There's that's the part of me that won't die. Like I don't, <laughs> I drive. won't go on the subway. I just drive. Well, I, you're a base player, right. so it's convenient to drive. Yeah. So, you know, it's trading one headache for another. Well, I don't think people. Yeah. It's it's interesting for people <laughs> who don't live in New York. First time I went shopping when I first moved here, I bought grocery shopping. I bought all these groceries and then realized I didn't have a car. So I hadn't even thought ahead. Mm. I couldn't carry all those groceries. Right. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> and there I was. So there's a lot of little <laughs> No, and I look back on that and it's so funny to me how naive I was. Yeah. But that, that's hilarious. George, we did it. Thank you so much. <laughs> I you, really Jamie. enjoyed it. I, I've been a fan since I heard you with Ben Patterson that first time at Mesro and then getting to play our one tune. But there will be other times. I hope I'm one of those people that you'll play with. Geez, no, I know you're yeah. really picky. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime. Thank you so much. Very, very kind. Thank you very much. Thank you. You've been listening to my conversation with George Delancey. I hope you'll join me here next time when I talk with another celebrated creative person about how jazz has inspired their life and work. I'm Judy Carmichael, the host and producer of Jazz Inspired. My production engineer is Curtis Heidolf. You can listen to Jazz Inspired on all the usual podcast platforms or at jazzinspired.com. Our opening music was Airmail Special, and the mid-break music is a smooth one from my CD, High on Fats and Other Stuff. The closing music is Old Fashioned Love from my CD trio. I'm on piano with Mike Hashem on sax and Chris Flory on guitar. Judy Carmichael's Jazz Inspired is made possible with generous support from our listeners and from Steinway & Sons and Jazz Times. For a schedule of upcoming programs, to sign up for our email newsletter, or to find out how you can personally support Jazz Inspired, visit our website at jazzinspired.com. You can email us at info at jazzinspired.com or visit us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Stride Queen. For more information, visit judycarmichael.com or jazzinspired.com.